Alright, this next song we're going to do is called The Revival Song, and I just really love this song. We're getting ready for revival, actually. Me and Dad found the song. We found it on the radio. It's a little faster, but the chorus is it's a great song. So when y'all get y'all, it's really easy to catch on. So. What can I do to leave a legacy? How can I speak with authority? When I can't see you, I can't see you. How can I know the dreams you have for me? How can I believe beyond what I have seen? When I can't hear you, I can't feel you now. No, 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 no. You're my revival song. You start where I belong on my knees. On my knees When I am weak or strong You meet me here when I'm on my knees On my knees Oh, it starts with me da 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 Why do I try to work outside of you? Knocking down doors I should be going through But I'm so tired, I'm so tired You take the burdens off of my shoulders You break the lies that hold me back But I'm not sure enough Sing along in the chorus You're my revival song you start where I belong on my knees, on my knees. When I am weak or strong, you meet me here when I'm on my knees, on my knees. Oh, it starts with me. I really want to change the world, whoa. I really want to sing your song, whoa. But I know Revival's got to start with me I really want to change the world, whoa I really want to sing your song, whoa But I know Revival's got to start with me You're my revival song You start where I belong On my knees On my knees When I am weak or strong you meet me here when I'm on my knees, on my knees. You're my revival song. You start where I belong, on my knees, on my knees. When I am weak, you're strong. You meet me here when I'm on my knees, on my knees. Oh, it starts with me. Y'all bow your heads for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this wonderful evening. You'd come out and just let us worship in your name, God. I just thank you for everything you do, of course, as we sing these words and praise you, God. The only way we can worship is through you, God. And I just thank you for giving us that opportunity, God. And it's just such a blessing. I thank you for this wonderful evening once again, God. And I just pray that 
for all the prayer requests that have been mentioned today. God, I just pray that you remember those. Uh, just thank you for everything you've done, especially for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For revival, and that was a, a neat revival song that we we heard on the radio about six months back, and uh, just uh, getting ready for revival. You can't. I mean, we preach those words all the time. Revival starts with me, and I guarantee you, revival starts on our knees. It's got to, or there's no revival. We're just wasting our time, and uh, it's a personal revival, and it's a revival that begins. With the fires of prayer down inside your heart, those fires of prayer sending up, telling the Lord exactly uh, what is wrong in our hearts, asking Him for guidance and forgiveness, and uh, pouring out our soul before Him. And so, if you have, uh, as of course, Brother uh, Mike. And Christy Vickers and their family is here, and I'm excited uh, for them. They're entering into a whole new chapter in their life, headed toward Kenya, Africa. Uh, for two years, I had Brother Mike as one of my students. He did not know that I had just resigned at Cabby, and uh, eight years of 18-hour Mondays has uh, taken its toll. And uh, he remembers well his two years, and I appreciate him. He's also been uh, through MTM and uh, missionary training modules that's sponsored by the church where he's a member, and uh, Flatwoods uh, Missionary Baptist Church there in Mountain View, Arkansas. Many of these people have been to Mountain View numerous times, and so he's got a, a presentation for us, and, and uh, he's been around the world. They left Mountain View this morning early, and then went to Hot Springs, and then went to Monticello, and now they're down here, and unless you're going to spend the night, you're headed back to Mountain View, okay, so, <laughs> and you have to go to work tomorrow, ah, <laughs> and they have to go to school, so, all right, Brother Mike, and we are thrilled to have you, just come, uh, share the work, and then bring us a portion of God's holy word. Thank you very much, Brother Michael. Uh, actually, I have a video, if you wouldn't mind watching it, just for, uh, it's just one song, and what that video consists of is just clips, pictures, uh, where I went to Kenya when God first called me, and uh, Christy actually uh, told me, she said, I want you to go without me. She, she told me she wanted me to go over to just clearly hear God's will in, in my calling, and I asked Christy who I could take with me, because I, I really, I didn't, it was a foreign country, I'd never even had a passport before. And I asked Christy, I said, well, who should I get to go with me? I don't want to go to lo alone if you don't want to go. And she said, well, how about my brother? Now, Matt had never been either, so uh, I got my brother-in-law to go with me uh, to Kenya. And uh, Brother Joey Cook, a great friend of mine, grew up in, at Pleasant Grove Baptist Church there between Mountain View and Batesville with Brother Joey. And, and uh, us three went over and helped James Taylor build uh, the church there in Melindi, Kenya. And that was our, our first trip. The first part of this slideshow, you're going to see those, those type of pictures uh, so Christy's not in there. The second half is actually our survey trip together the next year. God confirmed my calling when I went over there. Uh, God showed me that I could work there in Kenya with the, with the skill sets that I had and uh, was reassured that my calling was, was a genuine calling for God. It wasn't something that I was manufacturing over here looking at that ministry. And Christy chose to go the next year with me 
we did a survey trip there on the field, and the second half of this video is that time of us together there on the field uh, with Ernie and Sissy Hopper in Nairobi and also with James and Kenya Taylor on the coast. One day when heaven was filled with his praises One day when sin was as black as could be Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin He dwelt among men, my example is he The word became flesh, the light shined among us Glory revealed, and living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried me, my sins far away, rising he justified, freely forever, one day he's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day. Somebody shout glory. it is an honor to be here tonight. I'm glad that uh, you got to meet uh, myself and, and my wife Christy and Kenyon and Chalen and Cayman. 
I didn't get to meet everyone, I don't think. There was some that came in. We actually came in late tonight. It's kind of been a whirlwind of a day, but that's just the way it goes, we find out on deputation. We just kind of roll with the punches sometimes, but uh, we want to meet and greet every one of you and, and just be able to give you a prayer card. And, and, and if you have any questions about the pictures or what I'm about to tell you tonight, we have all the time that, uh, that we need to, to answer any questions that you might have about the ministry there in Kenya, Africa. Uh, I will tell you this, that, that second song where you're talking about down on your knees for revival, I'm telling you, this mission work here in progress, this started four years ago, and I spent a lot of time there four years ago and ever since on this mission work. And not only missions, not only revival, but just about every aspect that you can think of when you're thinking about what we do as Christians, that's really where it should start. You know, down on our knees, getting in close communication with God. And, you know, our trips to Kenya, uh, it is amazing the, the spirit of revival there. When you uh, get to go out into the bush and you get to preach, I've preached at several churches in Kenya uh, from slums of Nairobi to the coast in the, in the rural villages. Uh, there was a few pictures on there of when I did that, and I had an interpreter beside me for Swahili. Uh, that is, it's a spirit of revival. And the Kenyans pray for us. We pray for them. Uh, those are our friends that you see on the screen. Those aren't just uh, faces. Uh, we've made friends. And we've only been to Kenya. I've been to Kenya a total of one month's time. Two trips for a little over two weeks each time. And those are my friends. When my wife went the second time to Kenya, Africa, uh, that I went. I went the first time without her. We went the second time. She got to see Kenyan people that I had met the first time come up to me running, hug me, and say, you have come back. You said you would. They, they don't believe in goodbyes. So when my wife and I left the second time, they said, we will see you again. And when we said, yes, you will, uh, we meant that. And they understood that, that we are coming back to help them and to work with them. The people of Kenya are seeking something. They're seeking the truth. And I think here in America, we see people who are still seeking the truth. But in Kenya, the Kenyans have been shared the gospel with so many different denominations and so many organizations that they have a confused perception sometimes in some of the different areas, depending on where the evangelism has taken place. They have a skewed perception of Jesus. They, they, they're seeking the truth. They want to know. They understand clearly Kenyans are brilliant people. They, they want to know clearly who Jesus is. And they want to know in the Bible because now that the, the written work has become available to them. We hand out, a, James Taylor hands out a lot of Bibles, and we make available a lot of Bibles to that area that we work in. We're trying to saturate it through the school systems. With those Bibles that those church members have there in, in Melindy, they, they want to know everything you have to say, everything that you preach. They want to see it physically in the Bible because once they see what you're preaching, to them it becomes true. And that's a, that is a great blessing for us because the things that we preach, we, if we show them the scriptural verses, that's what they're hungry for. So we get to provide that through Bible studies there on the coast. Now, four years ago, this ministry started, I was saying. Scott Borland and Missy Borland came through Flatwoods Baptist Church. I was not on staff at Flatwoods Baptist Church. I'm a contractor. I have a residential and commercial construction company and my wife is, works for an orthopedic. She's an x-ray technician at an orthopedic clinic there in Mountain View. We taught Sunday school at, at Flatwoods. Taught, uh, the, I taught the, the youth on Wednesday nights in the 5th and 6th grade department, boys and girls, and, and we're just enjoying our life. 
uh, things were booming for us. My, my construction company had grown. I, I employed almost 10 people in my, just in my construction company, and we had a great future. In fact, we had just sold one home and, and was starting uh, Christie's Dream Home at the time. And Brother Scott Borland and Missy came through on a, on a deputation presentation for East Kenya Missions. They had partnered with James and Kenya Taylor and was sent out by uh, Pauline Baptist Church there in Monticello. This was the first trip that they were making. And Brother Scott made a plea in that presentation that they were looking for five families, families, to go to the coast of Kenya, move into towns along the coast, and saturate that area with the truth that the people were hungry for. God had been leading me toward missions, gradually, slowly, building me, teaching me about that missionary process. I now had a missionary pastor uh, at our church there at Flatwoods, Brother Joe Morrell. I'd had a missionary who loved, or a, a pastor who loved missionaries before that, Brother Wayne Harper. And God was leading my family toward helping missionaries, supporting missionaries, any way we could as a family. We had the means. We were, we were really focused on missions. Missionaries would come and stay with us in different, different areas of that. We had fallen in love with that process. And Scott came through and presented that work. And from then on, for the last four years, all I can hear is God saying, your family, your family. I told my pastor what uh, was happening in my life and that God was calling me to that ministry. I felt it clearly. I had never had that experience other than with salvation that God had so clearly called me to, to a work, to an area. Brother Joe said, well, Mike, you have to tell Christy and you have to tell your church and then you have to go to the field. The video, the first video that you saw is the fruit of going to that field. But I told my wife on our living room couch that we were going to go to Kenya, Africa. God was strongly calling me there. And she asked me if I was sure. And I said, honey, I'm certain. And the tears began to flow down her face. And it broke her heart. Everything that we thought we had worked for, everything that we thought was ours, there was a growing process that was going to have to take place. And there was also a cleaving process that was going to have to take place. In our lives, we had to understand that what we had wasn't what we needed, but what God had for us was what we surely needed. And so we started the work of uh, striving for this process that I'm going to present to you tonight. And uh, went to seminary. Brother Joe asked me if I would be willing to enroll in seminary. So I went to Cabby. That's where we met Brother Michael and Brother Trey was in my class down there. Uh, went through uh, that process of, of getting uh, my first degree there and, and also enrolled in the MTM program, Missionary Training Ministry, uh, where I got to meet and study other missionaries and other missionary processes and also in those four years work on studying this coastal area, working on the Midjikinda tribes, the nine tribes that James Taylor works with, learning where they come from, how their lives are affected by where they live at now. They're, they're nomadic tribes that have moved into that area. I wanted to understand them and culturally to see the relevance of those nine tribes together. I've had some time. Uh, I, we didn't just jump straight into the field. Brother Lynn Rayburn gave me some great advice when he said, Mike, he said, uh, you going to Kenya is going to be a process, and it's not going to be a quick one. God will prepare Kenya as he prepares you for Kenya. And that was great advice. So we're taking this slow. I want you to know it's been a lot of prayer, and it's been sometimes a lot of painful decisions that we have to make. But God has always provided the right things that we needed at the right time. He uh, sold two homes for us. We had a home. He sold that one. And then we, uh, Christie's Dream House, well, we sold it too. And, 
And there's been some sacrifices there that, that we had to make just to get to this point. But you know what? We are excited to get to present to you tonight that on June 30th, we're going to be leaving for an internship with James and Kenya Taylor. Now, you may say, why are you going to do an internship and not just going? Well, in order to go to the coast of Kenya and move into an area uh, that we want, we need time there. We need to go over it and work on the things that, that our church, our, our mission committee, I told you that I had a missionary pastor, he wanted to see us do some specific things. And those things were this. He wanted us to go and work with a missionary and, and see how that missionary performed basic evangelism, uh, the heart and the soul of, of creating mission works and planting churches on the coast of Kenya revolves around evangelism. I know Brother Michael likes that. But uh, that evangelism process of, of door-to-door knocking, just like you do here, well, in Kenya, it, it works great. The people want to meet you. They, they're hungry for the truth. If you have the truth or if you claim to have the truth, they're going to give you the time for you to present Jesus Christ. And that's a great open-door policy that we have to be able to go out and work with the Kenyan men as well. But I need to see that process, see where that takes us. Also, we need to be there on the field to hear God clearly tell us which town that he wants us to live in. James and Kenya live in Malindi. That's where we're going to spend this internship. But when we come back from our internship in November, on the 9th of November, we're going to immediately go back into deputation for the second part of our process. Now, in order to go back to Kenya full-time, we didn't know which town we're going to be moving into. We want to clearly feel God lead us into one of those towns while we're there on this internship because we don't want to move to a town and it be our decision. We want to move to a town because that's the town God has prepared for us in these past four years, working in the hearts of people to receive us to be able to start immediately uh, unto ministry. Now, we're going to go back from that internship in November, go on the deputation trail again, and part of that deputation at that point is to raise funds for our language school. We have to learn Swahili, which is the language of the coast. Swahili uh, can only be taught it with culture at the same time. So we actually have to go to a school uh, to learn that process. Now, the schools in Kenya for Swahili are very limited. In fact, now we can't even go to a school in Kenya to learn Swahili we have to go to Tanzania, which is the country underneath of Kenya, to learn our language. So when we go back uh, for full-time service, we will have to go immediately into a language school. So the second half of our deputation is going to be to raise $24,000 to go to language school. They feed us, house us, and school us for six months, our family, and it's $24,000 for that school. Language is everything. Because mission work is all about the people. And in order to talk to the people and to evangelize with the people and to tell the people the truth, we can't only use English. The Kenyans have a, a limited English knowledge. You have to have Swahili. And you have to not only know conversational Swahili, but you also, also have to have the biblical text Swahili. And it's a, it's a time-consuming process. One-on-one -on -one teaching for each one of us. Not only my kids, my pastor wanted my children to have the same language education that I got. I assure you, they will come out being able to translate for me out of that school. It's going to be hard work for me and Christy uh, in six months to learn everything that we need to know. We know the kids will go through it fine, uh, but it's going, to, it's going to be a neat process to see us uh, all be able 
to at the same time to acquire that Swahili language and to be able to go back to Kenya and function fully in the culture there and to learn. Now, it's going to take a while with nine different tribes of the Mijikenda. Each one of them have a different culture, a different language. They all speak Swahili. That's why we're learning Swahili. But with nine different cultures, that is a multicultural, multiracial area that we are trying to impact. So to learn nine different cultural taboos and, and the things to work in is going to take some time, but it's going to be such a wonderful process to participate in. Now, our internship for this first half, what we're doing right now, coming to churches like, like this one here at Promised Land, when we come here, we're asking you to help us garner our support for the first half of our ministry process, which is our internship and our, our fundraising for our monthly expenses while we're there. We're trying to raise our mission uh, fund budget in the first half of deputation. We've got off to a great start. We've only been on deputation for about two months, and we've already raised over a third of our needed support for our mission budget. That, that is just, it's amazing how God's blessing. But keep in mind, we've done this whole process God's way. We stepped back and turned it over to Him. We got on our knees and let Him lead. So this is God's timing and God's purpose, and we're just giving Him the glory for it all. But it is amazing to know that our, our remaining mission fund that we need for this whole uh, internship is only $21,000. That's the amount needed for us for salary, mission, budget, travel, everything combined. That's what we're down to. And we appreciate that. We have until June 30th to raise all those funds to know that we're fully funded when we leave, which we will have to be. Now, we appreciate churches that let us come and present and, and understand that not every church is going to pick us up on monthly support, but we're presenting to the people of churches as well. Just to say that if, if you have a desire to be a part of a ministry that uh, gives you nightly updates, we want to blog nightly. Our children, ourselves, we want to have those type of, of blogs where people can look at us every night before they go to bed. See what we did that day. Want to be a part of a ministry like that to where you know where your funds are going on a nightly basis. You see what we're doing. Uh, we're, we're going to be doing God's work, and we want to share that with people. Our team name is Kenyan Team Missions. Together, each accomplish more. Not everybody's going to be sent, but everybody's called to missions. That, that was the Great Commission. We're all called. There's senders and there's goers. We need people to hold the rope for us as we go. And we want not only churches, but individuals, individuals who are willing to come over in the summers and work. I need teachers. You may have been a Sunday school teacher for, for 20, 30 years, and you may think, I don't know if I could go to Kenya. You can go to Kenya. If you, if you get down on your knees and ask God to help you make it to Kenya, you will make it to Kenya. And you know what? It will be an awesome experience for you because you've got 30 years of the truth under your belt that you can purvey clearly, clearly to children who are hungry for it. We get to work in the school. I went to college to be a teacher. I never used that. I went directly into uh, to, uh, construction, started a company with my dad, and never got to use that. Went to school to be a history teacher and uh, uh, in high school and middle school. And the school systems there have invited me to come in and teach English and World Civ. They require me to teach the Bible. What an awesome opportunity. Each one of those schools has a 1,000 kids in it with 10 teachers. A hundred kids per class. This is a government set up school. So I get a thousand kids in one day to come through that I get to teach Bible stories to. Just the simple truth of, of not only Jesus, but all of God's Word. 
and I'm required to do it. That's an awesome blessing. That doesn't happen uh, in, in other areas that I have missionary friends in. We have an all open, open policy with these schools. We can come in and teach and, and do Bible camps and sport camps in the summertime like you see in James Taylor's updates if you get those. That's what I'm asking for. I want people who can come and teach. I also need high school seniors that have graduated and are going to college and college kids and, and young adults who are willing to do sport camps and participate and, and help uh, in other areas, just the structural uh, aspects of getting everything done. Uh, it's going to be a great process with a lot of people being involved in summertime camps. That's two years down the road. But, wow, what a time to start praying for that at these churches that we're going to. We need people. We need people to be a part of the ministry. It's a team project. And we're just praying that people like you might want to step in and say, we're going to come help you. We're going to support you, but we also want to come work with you. What a great opportunity. What a blessing uh, those people will be to us. And we appreciate you very much. Also appreciate you letting me come and just share some of God's Word with you tonight that I've shared some of the ministry. I know I, I leave things out and there's things there that you may have questions about. School teachers, it's, a, it's amazing how many school teachers I get that come and want to talk about just that opportunity to work in the schools because they spend their whole career here trying to work around that bullet of, of trying not to share too much and get in trouble but at the same time trying to change lives with Christ. And that's a tough one for Christian teachers. And I applaud you for what you do but I have a, a lot of interest in teachers that want to come over and they can finally share Jesus with kids. It's amazing what God does in our, in our lives if we look for the opportunities uh, that He has, those uh, marks that are laid out for us. Tonight, if you will, turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians in chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 12 through 16 there in chapter 3 of Philippians. But before I do that, I would uh, just uh, like to go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him, uh, to bless this reading. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank You for tonight. Thank You for just allowing my family to come and present a work, God, where I'm just one-fifth of a team. And Lord, I just uh, pray that You just uh, allow the ones who've gathered here, God, just to, to hear Your Word, uh, see the, the points that are, are in it that are so clear in the life of Paul, God, that we can take from, from Your Word and, and apply it in our own life and look for the opportunities, look for the goals that You have laid out for us. God, I thank You for this church and, and what it means to this community. Lord, I just pray that You let it be a lighthouse unto it. And Father, just forgive me where I fail You in that area. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In the book of Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. When I first surrendered to ministry, I got some great advice from my pastor, Joe Morrell. See, he had, he had prepared for his mission work in Lithuania by studying the life of Paul. And he did that for a reason, because he knew that he would be planting New Testament churches in Lithuania, and he knew that I would be planting New Testament churches in Kenya, Africa. So he said, Brother Mike, if you will, study the life of Paul. Study what Paul had to say. Study also what God did for Paul. 
and you will gain so much. Because you see, there's a cycle of church planting. It's called the Pauline cycle of church planting that Brother Joe did in Lithuania. It's what Brother Lynn Rayburn did in Kenya, Africa, in that Nairobi area that's produced over 300 churches that are, are there and have no American contact. They're, they're Kenyan churches, you see. It's an indigenous process, and that's what we've got to get involved in. That's what we have to do. It's all about discipleship and teaching people to lead their own people. And that's what Paul was all about. That's what Paul was trying to teach his brethren about. And it was also Paul trying to teach his brethren that it all worked if they trusted Jesus Christ and not their self or Him. You see, in those verses, Paul was, was preaching. He was preaching to his brethren certain things. And one of those things I'd like to look at, starting with just goals. How many of you can think back to your childhood and, and think what you wanted to be? I can immediately think of police officer or fireman. I had a fire truck, a pedal power fire truck. Didn't have the power wheels back then, Trey. We just had to pedal them around. And it was, it was hard work being a kid, but it was fun. It was fun. Those uh, wanted to be that fireman. Uh, I, I'm a volunteer fireman now, and I think that's part of it. I always had that dream. It was a goal. It never went away. But it's amazing to look how God changed my life, though. As I went into high school and and uh, was saved when I was 15 at Pleasant Grove Baptist Church. And God then gave me, started giving me spiritual goals, not only physical goals, but spiritual goals, and trying to balance those and make one play on the other and help out, and it was tough. And then I went to college. And as I went into college, I, Christy and I have been married uh, 20 years. And uh, so it, we got married young. Uh, Christy turned 19 on our honeymoon, <laughs> as a matter of fact. But we got married young, and we started... Uh, just living life, and God gave us new goals. He gave me specific new goals as a husband. And it's amazing to, to look over how, how things have even changed from then as we moved back home and, and started uh, getting really into church, into the, to being what God was calling us to be, following our spiritual goals, basically, even though our physical goals were, were changing a lot. Our spiritual goals were changing also. God was directing us and bringing us unto Himself and showing us what he wanted us to be and do in, in his church. Then we started to have kids, and the goal changed for me again. I started uh, to turn into that, to that father and, and the husband and daddy and, and all those roles that play in and, and trying to balance everything out. And it was amazing how, how God allows us to do that as men, giving us those goals to look for. And you may be sitting there thinking the same things are going on in your life and the same goals. And yours may be a little different. You know, God put a, a mark out there for me to look at, and we're going to talk about here in just a minute, of missions and, and what it meant to, to, to go and, and to do what He was calling me to do when it wasn't convenient and it wasn't fun and it wasn't something that I was actually looking forward to doing. It was going to be tough. I was content where I was. And that's the case a lot of times when God calls us to do those things. He stretches us. Like that Stretch Armstrong doll that they used to have that was full of the unknown jelly. We don't know what it was, but he can... And you can only stretch it to a certain point and you break. I'm telling you, God stretched me until He broke me. And that was a good thing. God will stretch you till He reduces your resources, till you are totally reliant upon Him and not upon yourself anymore. And when that point comes in your life, you can see the goal clearly. We know that a point like that happened for Paul. Paul had some of those points, those days, those times. We knew who Paul was. In verses 3.12, we're going to be looking there in Philippians. It says, 
not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. If we were looking at the apprehension of Paul, I have a nephew who's a police officer in Jonesboro, Arkansas, just got on the force, graduated from A-State a couple years ago and went through the training, and, and he's a cop there on the force. And he has a set of handcuffs, of course, like all the cops do, but I was sharing with him one day, talking about those handcuffs, and, and he shared with me, he said, Uncle Mike, he said, you know, when I put those cuffs on somebody, he said, it's a lot of responsibility. He said, you see, not only do I really apprehend them, and you see that word twice there in verse 13, apprehend, apprehended of, apprehended by. You see that word? He said, when I apprehend somebody, he said, you know, when I put the cuffs on them, they become mine. He said, they're my responsibility. If anything happens to them, uh, it's going to come back on me. Uh, they are mine. And that's the kind of... Uh, what we need to look at Paul, how he's saying this here, when he's talking about that word apprehension, he's talking about the word catalambano. And that word means to seize or to take hold of. Not only to take hold of it, but it becomes your possession. Now, of course, there was a point that Paul's referring to here back in his own life, and that happened on in, in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 16. You, you know those verses. It's that road to Damascus where Saul became Paul. See, that was the point where... Paul was apprehended, Catalambano, seized. He was seized by Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road, and Saul was no longer Saul. He became Paul. See, God made a, a major work in his life. You see, Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Been the circumcision on the eighth day. He, was, he had been relying his whole life on being a Hebrew, getting him to heaven, but now he met the true Christ on that road, and he had a circumcision of the heart. See, God got into his heart and changed his heart. He became a new creature in Christ. And we see this as Paul's talking about his apprehension. You see, Christ didn't just seize that old man. Christ made a new man in Paul, and he had a purpose for him. Christ took possession of his life. Christ took possession not only of Paul's life, but his abilities, who he was. He gave him a new purpose. Paul now had a new purpose because Christ had seized him. A new life purpose. Paul says this in Galatians 2.20. He said, Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, the beautiful thing about that picture is the fact that just because there was a blinding light is only about the only difference in the fact that Paul's apprehension and seizure by Jesus Christ is the same as yours. If you've had that glorious event in your life where you accepted Jesus as your Savior, Paul was just a man. He was an apostle and he could do great things. I understand that. But Paul was just a man who said yes to Christ. And you may be a man or a woman who said yes to Christ and the same thing happened to you. Jesus Christ has took possession of everything you are and created a new life purpose that you're supposed to be looking for. And it doesn't matter what age you are. The apprehending by Paul for the purpose of Jesus Christ, it says that if I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended. Are you searching for what Christ has for you in your life purpose? Paul started that. Soon as he was saved on that road to Damascus, what did he do? He immediately went to those who knew Christ the best. He went to the apostles. He went to the disciples. He was searching to learn the life of Christ. Why? Because he couldn't get it out of him. He had been changed, and he knew Christ did it. He wanted to learn everything he could about the Christ from the ones who were closest to him. Paul had a new desire, and that desire was to lay hold on his purpose. 
His goal was to achieve what Christ wanted for him in his life. Is it our desire to be what God wants in our life? Because I think, honestly, I was a little lacking in that department. I knew Christ was leading me, but I wasn't actively getting down on my knees and praying to God to give me a place. I was comfortable knowing that God was leading me to missions, but as long as there was no place to go, I was safe. And then God changed that. God changed that. God changed that for Paul as well. Gave him a new mission. May we follow eagerly that for which Christ took possession of for us. But then Paul says this in verse 13. He says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. That apprehending of Paul remained incomplete. You see, Paul was still searching. He considered his apprehension incomplete because he was trying to apprehend the one who had apprehended him. Sometimes that doesn't work well for the felons in handcuffs. But it will work well for us. And Paul understood that. Are you trying to get a hold of Jesus the way Jesus has a hold of you? Is it a re- That makes a relationship. The one-sided from Jesus just to us is just blessings. But if you don't try to apprehend the one who's apprehended you, you're missing so much more in life. And Paul understood that. And he was trying to share that with his brethren. Because I think they were looking to him for answers. And, and for things, as at this point in time, he's grown a lot when he's writing this, okay? And those people that he's uh, been on mission trips with and the ones that he's been discipling, discipleship is huge and he's, he's a master of it with these men, these young men that are growing in the Lord. We see it from their livelihoods. And he's telling them, don't look to me for all the answers. Look for Christ, the one who seized you. He's the one who's putting your purpose out there. Seek it from him, not for me. He's just sharing with them the fact that he's still under construction. I'm still under construction, I assure you. I don't know everything I need to know in Kenya, Africa. And it'll be a lifetime work there for me figuring it out, I know. But I have to start somewhere. That's why this internship is a great thing for us. We had to start homeschool at some time. It's a good place to start it. We had to separate from our families. You're talking about some grandparents that are not happy with Mike Vickers. Yes, we both, I, my mother and father are, are not happy with me. Her mom and dad are not happy with me. But I'll tell you this, my dad, unfortunately, is, is not a Christian. He's a, he's a very godly man, has a knowledge of Jesus, and I, he's that close. But he's the only one, when I first surrendered, he looked at me and he said, Mike, if Jesus is calling you to go to Africa, you better go. He knows. He knows some of the things that us as Christian, long-time Christians can overlook. If Jesus is calling you, you better go. That works in all areas of life, just not the mission field. And I pray my dad is there before I leave. But we've got some grandparents who, who really love grandkids. And they know that it's going to be a few and far trips between before they get to see them. And they're sad about that. And we need prayer for that. That's why our prayer cards are back there. Lots of different areas for things. See, God works in those areas. He puts people under construction. I'm singing the song that Paul was singing. He's still working on me to make me the man I ought to be. That song, it sticks in your heart. It sticks in your mind. It ought to because you are under construction in Christ. You're not perfect. Paul was a great missionary. Paul was a great uh, discipleship trainer. He was a great leader. He was a great evangelist. But he knew that he wasn't perfect. And he wanted his men to understand that he wasn't. He didn't want to be their Christ. 
They had their own Christ, the one who had seized them, forgetting performances of the past. Philippians 3.13 says this, But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me. Now, if you're reading this text from Paul, you may think, Paul's trying to forget who he was. Man, he was a bad guy. Yes, Paul was. Paul did some horrible things to the Christian uh, Hebrews. He, he did. Those who were trying to follow Christ. Paul totally uh, was in the wrong in what he was doing, but he was culturally right in his own faith. There were some bad things that Paul did. But I know this from the Scriptures. God still loved him. God wanted to reach out to him. And on that Damascus road, he did reach out to Paul. But those things that had Paul had behind him weren't what he was trying to forget in the Scriptures that he's writing here. He knew he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He knew where he had come from. He was out of that stock of Israel. The, the chapters ahead of Philippians 3 here, if you can read through those later and you can see what I'm talking about. He knew who he was in his past. He had managed to already put that behind him. What Paul and what we need to take from this verse is the fact that Paul's actually talking about forgetting those things which are immediately behind him. See, he's done been a missionary. Paul was saved on that road, studied the life of Christ, trained for 9 to 14 years to be a missionary, and was sent out by Antioch with Barnabas. It was that long. I've been working on this for four years, and I'm ready to go. I can't imagine Paul working on it for 9 to 14 years before he crossed the Mediterranean and planted those churches. But we're at that point here where Paul is preaching to these guys saying, I've planted churches. I've discipled men. There's, there's many people out there that's looking to me for answers. And I have to forget those works because I want to tell you guys something. Jesus has more for me to do. There's people out here who I'm praying for that may come to Kenya and work and, and could do a great work there, but I don't know if they'll come or not. Some of them are scared of the heat. Some of them are scared of the spiders. Some are scared of the snakes. Some are scared of just anything and everything. They want to do God's will, but they're scared. I'm telling you, there's, there's marks out there for every individual to do in ministry, and some people are scared to take a hold of it. Paul's saying, you've got to forget sometimes where you've been for God and look ahead where He wants you to go and have the faith to trust Him to step out into those areas. Sometimes it's simple evangelism. I got into that area in prison ministry. I had a captive audience. It was easier than going door knocking. But God had to get me in somewhere, and He started me in the prison ministry. Now, to be honest with you, it's no trouble for me on an airplane or anywhere else. I witnessed to some guys from uh, Somalia when we flew over the last time we went to Melindi that were sitting around me. Super nice guys. I'm glad they weren't radical Muslim. But it, we, and we were on an airplane. Might not have been the, the best move to make. Should have waited till we were on the ground. But, you know, it's no problem for me to, to be personable about my Savior. Paul wasn't trying to forget that he had been a Hebrew all of his life. He had reminders that he, he couldn't take away. But I know this from what he was. He was always looking ahead to what God had before him. Are you there in your life? Are you looking ahead for those marks? Let's look, focusing precisely on a prize. You see in Philippians 3, 14 through 16, it says, I press toward the mark. And this is a great verse. I've done children's ministry around this verse alone. But there, there's a word in here called mark. I press toward the mark. For the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, the eye upon the mark. The word mark in verse 14, it comes from the word scopos. And I think of that word in terms of my rifle scope. I'm a big hunter. I love to hunt. I'm sad because I can't take them to Kenya. They don't allow guns in Kenya now. 
So, uh, but I think of my rifle scope and I think of that mark, whether it's a deer or an elk or whatever have you, it's way out there, but my scope brings it right up close. So somebody with bad eyes can still kill something in that they're wanting to hunt. So my scope brings it up where I can see it. That's the meaning of that word scopos. It's taking that mark and that mark in this case is a prize that Jesus has laid out there for you and he wants you to bring it up here where it's in the foremost front of your vision so your eyes see it. He wants you to be aware of what you have and you can think of it as whether it's a running back running the football down the field and heading for the end zone. His eye, I promise you, is on the mark of that little orange pylon. He's wanting to get there. Guys are chasing him. People's coming from the side. He could get severely hurt. There's probably 800 pounds of meat chasing him. He can hear their breath. He's heading for the mark. You you couldn't take his eyes off of that orange pylon if you tried. He's focused on what he has to get to to get out of the bounds. Get that touchdown and get out of bounds without getting hit. Or an NBA basketball player focused on the rim during a free throw. The fans are going crazy. The guys are talking to him on the sides, probably saying some not-so-nice stuff to him, trying to break his attention, but he's focused on the rim. The ones with the high percentage, their eyes never come off the rim. The camera's focused on them. You can see it. Their eyes are focused. They're looking at their mark. But Paul's talking about another mark here, not a basketball rim, not a pylon, but a mark that's sometimes so much more subtle than that. Sometimes it's this. Your family. Your family. Maybe it's just you. I need you in this particular ministry. It may be making the bulletins. It may be greeting people at the door. It may not be Kenya, Africa, but yet it may be. There's a mark out there. Sometimes it's so subtle that we overlook what Jesus has for us. Are you looking intensely with a focus for what Jesus Christ has laid out for you? Not just with your eyes, but with your heart also. Is your heart open? Is your heart open to to take in what your eyes see? You see, there's prizes out there for us. Uh, Paul said this about a prize. He said, uh, the mark for the prize. What is the prize? Prize is from the word brabion, meaning an award given in a public ceremony or by a judge. There was a, a prize for Paul. Paul's prize was ultimate, the ultimate prize. It was heaven. He talked about it uh, in this verse here. He says, uh, I have fought a good fight. This is Second Timothy 4, 7 and 8. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. You see, Paul compares it to running a race here, okay? His eyes are on the prize. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, with the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. See, Paul's running a race. Talks about it all the way through his books, about running that race. But I want you to understand, there is a finish line. There is a finish line for each goal that God set out for him. But there's a a race celebration party. That, that later on that night is going to be in heaven for him. And he understands that. Paul's not saying, I'm going to finish my race in heaven. He's finishing the races one at a time that God gives him. And he knows there's going to be an ultimate prize at the end of his life when he gets to see uh, glory. Keep your heart upon the prize. You'll hear, uh, just as in Matthew 25, 20, 21, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord, Matthew twenty five twenty one. Also your mind, not just your eyes, not just your heart, but your mind as well. Keeping our mind focused on the thing that God has for us. Let us keep our minds upon the things of God, verse 15. God shall reveal even this unto you. 
Are you seeking the mind of God? You know, we're not natural seekers. Uh, Jesus is always seeking those who will listen, those who will hear, those who will be a part of what He has. Jesus is always seeking. Uh, just as Nathaniel under the tree and those, they thought they were seeking. But then they found out, well, Jesus had been seeking us all along. We might have just been looking in all the wrong places, right? Jesus is the seeker. But are you turning around? Are you trying to apprehend back? Just as Paul was saying. Jesus is seeking the things for you that He wants, but are you seeking Him? That's a tough one for us. That's not natural. That's something we have to make the effort to do. Are you seeking Him with your mind? Then He said, the rule of the race. Nevertheless, where do we have already attained? Let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Paul wanted his brethren to mind the same thing as him. Paul wanted them to be a part of what he knew that Jesus was laying out for them. Paul wants us to realize through his Scriptures that Jesus is laying things out for us. It's a team focus. Team focus. Are we wanting to do the same thing? Following our pathway to maturity. Forgetting the performances of the past. You may have been a Sunday school teacher here for 20 years. Knowing full well that God calling you into another area of ministry. Whatever it may be. That's what he's talking about. Forgetting the things of the past. Not forgetting the joy that you had from them, but placing those on the back burner so you can enjoy reaching forth and taking a hold of what God has laid out for you now. Because He didn't just save your past. He didn't just save your present where we all get comfortable. But He provides our future. He provides our future for us. He took it when you were saved. It's there for us. And He's got things there waiting for you. Are you willing to forget the past to secure the future? You may be here tonight and you may not have secured the first thing. As Paul on that road to Damascus where he became Paul, that conversion of the heart, where Paul was missing something in his life. He understood that uh, he needed Christ at that point when God come in, conviction come into him, and he understood what he was and what he needed and that point where he knew that he couldn't do it alone. When I was 15 at Pleasant Grove Baptist Church, I accepted Christ as my Savior. And it was only because for two years, a couple had brought me to church every service, Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. Now, this family was a singer, so I got to go to all the mission rallies and all the, all the singing rallies and everything. We, we went to all the... And they were deacons and a deacon's wife, so we went to all those meetings as well. But I was, I was like their youngest son. And they had lots of kids, and we all went. They took me to everything. But for two years, I heard the truth of who Jesus Christ was. And it took those two years for me to fully understand that I couldn't get to heaven on my own, no matter how hard I worked, how hard I tried. It wouldn't have mattered if I was a Hebrew of Hebrew. I wasn't getting to heaven unless I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior and repented of my sins and asked Him to forgive me of those sins and allowed Him to come in my heart because my heart had to change. And I see that in Paul. And I hope that you can see the fact that if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've never made that commitment, you're the only one who knows that about yourself, you and God. And there's probably a, a huge conviction power on you that you need Jesus Christ. 
Well, it was tough. It was two years before I could make that decision. Had the white knuckles on the pew, but one night I had all the truth I needed to understand fully that I could not go to heaven without Jesus Christ. And I walked down and accepted Christ as my Savior. And I hope tonight that if you're in that kind of predicament, if Christ has that goal laid out for you, that you need Him as as your Savior, that you're strong enough and brave enough to say, Jesus Christ, I need you. I'll walk that out. I'll come down. Brother Michael, I'll ask you to come up. Invitations are simple. They're your invitation for Christ. They're your invitation for service. They're for your invitation for the things that you need to turn over away from yourself, the marks you need to take a hold of, and turn over to Christ. That invitation is the time to do that.